I ask you now to turn with me to Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 534. Lord's Day 20. Where we summarize what the scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit. Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. And as I indicated already, I want to use 1 Corinthians 2 to work this out. And the theme also is taken from verse 12 of that chapter. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters... Today we commemorate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Today's Pentecost. Fifty days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles. So for us it's important to reflect on this because what is it that we commemorate? What is the importance of Pentecost? interesting that we live in a world that has no attention for this feast in the Christian calendar. They know about Christmas, they know about Easter, but if you would ask someone, have you ever heard of Pentecost? They may look at you and say, I don't know what you mean. What is it? So we live in a, a society that does not recognize God's work in Jesus Christ as it unfolds, not only in his birth and his death and his resurrection, but also in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for us? Why do we observe this? On the other hand, we also see there are many who focus so much on the Holy Spirit that they feel that they still can receive new revelations from the Lord, that they feel that the Holy Spirit is moving them and telling them to do things and so on, and they make that a hallmark of what it is to be a Christian. Somehow you have to be able to speak in tongues or do other things. So how do we deal with that? You may come across people who will tell you, well, the Holy Spirit showed me this is what I should do, so that's why I did it. And you think, well, how, how is this possible? Or is it true? So that's why it's important for us to, to reflect what is it that we believe concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Lord's Day 20 is so helpful. It is a very brief Lord's Day. But yet it contains so, so much. 
Just think about the opening sentence that he is together with the Father, true and eternal God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is from eternity, uncreated. And he works with the Father and with the Son in perfect harmony and is to be worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. He's also, as we confess in the Nicene Creed, the Lord and giver of life. If you look around you, the, the, the new season and, and the crops coming up in the field and the animals that have young ones, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord and giver of life. And he's also, it says in Lord's Day 20, given to me, to make me a new person, to help me, to protect me, to comfort me. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the word. And that is what we want to focus on this this morning, because in our passage that we read from 1 Corinthians 2, you notice the connection between the Holy Spirit and wisdom, or truth, revelation. And that is what we want to focus on. So I proclaim to you God's word this morning under this theme, we have received the Spirit who is from God. We have received the Spirit who is from God. Brothers and sisters, the members of the church in Corinth were quite impressed with wisdom. And that means human wisdom. And they were part of the culture in which they lived because the Greek culture was a culture that was indeed focused on philosophy, on wisdom. But it was human wisdom, thinking things through. And also in the church in Corinth, that, that was part of sometimes some people's way of looking at what happened in the church. And so they were really interested in how well people could explain things in the church, especially ministers or leaders, how well they could speak, how well they could present their case, how well they could captivate their audiences. And, and the better a minister could do that, the higher he was ranked. And that led to divisions in the church in Corinth. You read about it in the first chapter. Divisions around, uh, uh, around people and preachers that did what they wanted them to do in the sense of expose or expound in a, in a wise way, in a captivating way. And Paul, Paul didn't quite meet the cut. Paul was, in their view, not the most dynamic speaker. And his message wasn't always the most appealing, they thought. They looked at what Paul said and did in terms of, of that worldly, earthly, human wisdom. And so Paul deals with that. And he has to, not, not in order to, to justify himself and to elevate himself, but because of his office as the one who brings the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he realized that this focus on human wisdom hinders their openness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and will block the progress of that gospel. 
So he, he addresses that in chapter 2 and also in the following chapters, but we focus on chapter 2 this morning. And you notice that in the first couple of verses of this chapter, in a way, Paul says, I agree with you. Paul says, yes, if you would judge me according to what the speakers in the marketplace and in the, the gatherings of the wise men do, I don't make the cut. I fall short. I didn't come to you with lofty speech and with wisdom. I spoke with weakness and fear and, and trembling. So yes, and he says also, the message that we brought also is not a message that appeals to people. It is not a message that comes in plausible words of wisdom. No, it comes in the power of the Spirit. So the strength of the word that is spoken is not in the one who speaks but it isn't the one who uses the speaker to bring that word to God's people. And he does it on purpose. He uses people that maybe not be the best speakers, and he comes with a message that may not be the message that we expect, so that our faith is not resting in our own ideas, in our wisdom, but that it indeed comes from God. That he who boasts would boast in the Lord. That's how chapter 1 ends. So that's how he starts this chapter. So yes, I'm not the most dynamic speaker, and the gospel is not a gospel that is easily accepted. However, verse 6, he says, Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So he says, what we said, what I brought to you, was not nonsense. It does make sense. It is understandable. We impart wisdom, but we do it to the mature. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Who are the mature? Well, in chapter 3, Paul says, well, you're not really mature yet. I have to address you as infants. In Christ, not as spiritual people. So there, in chapter 3, verse 1, he equates being infants with being people who are not spiritually strong. So when he then here speaks about among the mature, then it is also those who have matured by the power of the Spirit in their faith, who have progressed in their faith, grown in their faith, maturing in their faith. And he said, among those we do impart wisdom. But it is a very remarkable wisdom. Verse 7. It is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Secret and hidden does not mean you have to be quiet about it. Don't talk about it. As if it is a secret. The words secret and hidden means that because God has revealed it to us, we know it. 
God is the source of it. If he had not revealed this to us, you and I would not have known this. No, it is not a wisdom that appeals to people. It's a wisdom that comes from God. From God and about God. Oh, he knew it already from the beginning. Verse 7. He decreed it before the ages for our glory. That wisdom that we may receive by the power of the Spirit is not something that God in the last minutes thought up, quickly made up. He had planned it all along already, as Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians, before the creation of the world already, he determined this. He knew this. And that is the wisdom that he now has revealed, and that is the wisdom that we may give to you impart to you. Oh, it is a wisdom that goes against the grain of human nature. And those who are of significance in our world, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. The rulers of this age are the people who count in this world If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have rejected him. They would have embraced him, but they did not. Because also that, what he brought, our Savior, was contrary to human pride, human thought, human wisdom, that someone had to die on the cross to pay for our sins. But it is the most beautiful wisdom. Verse 9, no eye has seen it, no ear has heard of it, no heart of man had imagined it. It comes from Isaiah 64. But the gospel of salvation, the eye of man has never seen it. It goes beyond what we can see. You've never heard about it. You would not be able to come up with it yourself. There's a progression there. Seeing goes so far. You cannot see what's behind a wall. Hearing goes further. I can hear about things that happen somewhere else in this world. But in my heart, I can imagine things that go much beyond that. Well, this wisdom is more than all of that. It is the wisdom of God in redeeming sinners in reconciling sinners to himself, in not counting our sins against us, but sending his only son to die. That is the wisdom. And that is what is revealed to us. Now, brothers and sisters, that is the truth. You see, that is the point that Paul has to deal with. How do you know that indeed this is so? How can you make this claim that it is truth, the only truth, the absolute truth? That's something that we can also face, questions about that when you speak about your faith to others. How do you know that what you believe is true? There are other faiths too, there are other ideas And it can make ourselves 
that we make ourselves doubt. Is it true? Can we lay claim to the truth? And, and I say that in a world that says, no, you cannot. Everybody has his own ideas. We leave each other free. How do we know that this wisdom that we confess, that we have received, is indeed the truth? Well, that is verse 10. Because Paul says, the way in which you come to know this truth is unique. You did not discover it yourself. No one in the church or in the history of a church discovered it. It is given to you. And it is given to you by the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. And these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And what Paul does here, he uses a principle called like knows like. What that means is you know yourself. You know what goes through your mind. Other people may think they know or suggest they know, but you know exactly how you feel. If something happens that makes you disappointed, you know how you feel about it. You can talk. You can express yourself. But your deepest thoughts stay within you, and you know them. Your thoughts are known to you. Well, that is also when it comes to God. Only God knows his own thoughts, his wisdom, his plan, his purpose. Now, it says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit that is within him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. If there is one who knows the thoughts of God, it is the spirit of God. He knows the thoughts of God as well as you know your own thoughts. You know what lives in you. So the Spirit knows what lives in God because He is together with the Father and the Son, true, eternal God, one God Almighty. So when He speaks, the Spirit, about the plan of God and about the wisdom of God, He knows what He's speaking about. And then when He speaks about God's plan, then he speaks the truth because God is the God of truth. There's no question about it. So how do we know that this is truth? Because the Spirit who reveals, who speaks, who comes to us, knows God through and through. He is the Spirit of God. And that is what First 12 says. You have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit of God, who is from God. 
He knows exactly what God thinks, what God has planned. And he reveals that to you. God reveals these thoughts to you through him. And that also means then, and that's how Paul finishes off this chapter, that you need the Spirit to understand these thoughts. You need the Holy Spirit to indeed understand this wisdom. Remember he said, among the mature we do impart wisdom, and the mature are those who are spiritually growing, strong. You need the Holy Spirit in order to understand this, and that is the Spirit that you have received. He poured them out upon you. The Spirit who knows the thoughts of God, and therefore through Him and by Him, we understand what God has revealed. Verse 14. The natural person, that is a person without a spirit, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. The fault to him. Not able to understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. You need to hold his spirit to understand it. And the spiritual person, he is the one who understands it. It brings you to another question. Because when Paul says in verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit, notice he includes them and himself. We. He doesn't only say you, but he includes himself as well. We have received the Holy Spirit. How can he say this? How do we know that we have received the Holy Spirit? That you have the Spirit not of this world, but of God. And that you can interpret these things, spiritual truths, to those who are spiritual. Well, think of the way in which God came in the lives of these Corinthians. That was exactly Paul's task through his message. The Holy Spirit uses the apostolic preaching to bring this truth into their lives, and to bring about the answer of faith. So the Spirit brings it to them, but also makes sure they understand it and they believe it. It is from God, it is through God, and he also completes that again. So how do you know that you have received the Holy Spirit? Well, that is because the way the Spirit works this, through the preaching of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ laid out to you in the Word. And that is exactly why Paul says, if you focus only on human wisdom, you stop that work. Then you become a hindrance rather than a help in the way to maturity. If you want to grow in wisdom, in understanding, in defending the truth, go back to that word. Submit to that word that was brought to you, preached to you. Verse 13, we impart this in words by the preaching. And yet, brothers and sisters, so many people want to be wiser than what God himself has revealed As if the truth has to be verified by us. What we can do. 
or that we have to help along the Holy Spirit a little bit so that he can do his work well. And we use human wisdom and human gimmicks or ideas to help him along. And it can be that you become a hindrance rather than a help. It is only through his work, through his word. And for that, he uses Paul and the other apostles who then also have to submit to that. That's why he doesn't come in words of lofty wisdom and brings indeed Christ and him crucified. For that is the way in which the Spirit does his work. When Christ crucified is proclaimed, then the Spirit is pleased to bring about in the lives of those who hear it that renewal of life, that change, and the understanding of the truth. So what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Why is it important to commemorate Pentecost? And having looked at this chapter and connecting it also to Lord's Day 20, the three things that I would like to highlight for you this morning. I want to first highlight that the Holy Spirit is indeed true and eternal God. The second, that he lives in us. We have received him. And thirdly, that he works in us. And you see, all three elements come also from this chapter. All three elements are mentioned in the Catechism. First of all, then, that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. When you read this chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is a person. He searches, it says. He reveals He teaches. He's a person, not just a power. He is a person like the Father and just like the Son. He's a person. And and as the third person in the Trinity, he is equal to God. And you see that in that he searches the depth of God and he knows exactly The thoughts of God. There's nothing hidden from the Spirit. Because He is God Almighty. He knows perfectly. And He searches the depths of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God. True and eternal. And he works with the Father and the Son that comes out so beautifully too in this chapter because he searches the thoughts of God and what are these thoughts about? About the Son who was made man and died for us so that the glory goes to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not out for himself, the Spirit. He's not out for his own honor. The Spirit is honored when we give glory to God through Jesus Christ, for the gospel of our salvation. That's who he is. And that's why the world doesn't celebrate it. They don't understand this. They don't value this. Brothers and sisters, you do. That he is indeed true and eternal God. 
that the one who makes this creation so beautiful at this time of the year is the one who works in you because he works in you the plan of God for God's glory. Yes, the second element here is that he lives in us. The Spirit lives in us. He has made our homes his temple. He makes the church his temple, the place where he dwells. Christ is at the right hand of God, there to intercede for us. The Spirit is the one who intercedes in our hearts, Paul and Romans. And it says in, in our text, verse 12, he, we have received him. You didn't take him. You didn't ask for him. You received him. It's given to you. Why? Because of God's goodness, God's grace, God's good pleasure. You received him. Because was that not what he said to you when you were baptized? That I will dwell in you and make you a living member of Jesus Christ, imparting to you what you have in Christ, so that you may live to the glory of God and praise Him. You have received Him, not because of anything that you have earned or done, but only because of the covenant of grace, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who would make people new. So do not look for the reality of the Spirit in your life, in extraordinary things that you can do. But look at your baptism and the promises given to you in your baptism. He lives in you. We sang it. He makes our bodies his temples. That is the truth, the reality through the death of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the third element that we see here. He works in us. For why does he dwell in us? To work in us. And what is his work? To renew us. People who are dead come back to life. People who are selfish begin to serve others and the Lord. People who are sinners repent of their sin and seek their lives outside of themselves in Jesus Christ. And that next week we hope to celebrate that. When we celebrate the supper of our Lord, we seek our lives outside of ourselves. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the truth. So, brothers and sisters, he works in you to, to make you one with Christ, to comfort you, to help you, to lead you. And he does that through his word. And he uses for that his church and the preaching that takes place there and the administration of the sacraments that happen there and the exercise of the church discipline that happens there. Because in the creed of the apostles, apostolic creed, following the article about the Holy Spirit, we then speak about the article of the church, the communion of saints. For that is the way by which he then also continues his work to what maturity in your life. So I may proclaim to you this morning that you have received the Spirit of God and that thereby you know the minds, the mind of God and that you 
Do not have to be ashamed to stand up for the truth, to defend it, and to hold it out in this world. Amen.